song this morning. Uh, how's come when I get sleepy, no one holds me like that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You might shut me up. All right, if, uh, if you have your Bibles today, I'm going to ask if you'll open, the, open them to Matthew chapter 1, uh, verses, you can see up here, verses 1 through 17. Uh, last week, when we were together, we talked about uh, the parable of Matthew 13, and we talked about that we are the sower, uh, we talked about our role in things, we didn't really say much about the soils we were, we were going to today, but... Um, Last week we talked about that we should never quit, uh, never quit sowing that seed. If, if the seed appears to be ineffective, we talked about how uh, uh, sometimes you know, the seed doesn't return the way we thought it would or the, it wouldn't produce the way we thought it would. Uh, the seed's not the problem. We, we need to just work on the soil. Uh, we, we had talked about that last week. And today what we're going to talk about is, is you know, maybe something comes up and you think to yourself, as we can see the title, is how can God use me? Um, I understand we have to continue to sow, we have to continue to work soil and stuff, but um, <clears throat> sometimes we think, I can't, I can't share with somebody because I have enough problems of my own. You know, I mean, my, my life is a mess, my family's a mess, I got all these problems, I got this going on. The last thing someone needs is to hear something from me from the likes of me. Um, so uh, what we're going to try to do with that, and, and you know, <laughs> uh, I was sent a picture this week, and it was a picture of a hospital. And it said, you don't come here looking for healthy people. And then right underneath it was a picture of, of a church building, and it said, you don't come here looking for perfect people. You know, um, uh, and I guess part of this comes with, uh, uh, this week I had, Heard a, uh, about a friend, a, a, fellow, a colleague, a preacher, that uh, fell into uh, an act of discretion. And I don't know if you know this or not, but preachers are human too. You know, they, they make mistakes, they make bad choices. Um, especially when you put someone in a, in a circumstance that, you know, clouds your judgments. You know, like when, when you go through something and you think it's difficult, you know what, it's not any easier for a preacher. Well, this preacher had a, he made a bad choice, made a mistake, and the pews are empty. The, the church is probably going to end up closing because the preacher made a mistake. I don't know where people's faith is, but I want to tell you this morning, if your faith is in me, you have a misplaced faith. I'm going to fail you. I'm going to mess up. I hope your faith is in God, not a man. You know, uh, the people, whether they're up front, whether they're in the pew, whether they're leading songs or they're leading services, we are imperfect people. Made perfect through Christ. You know, and that's who we are. That's what we are. But don't ever think because we're filled with imperfections that we don't have to sow the seed of God. That's what we're going to talk about today. And, and so what I decided to uh, pick out is, is what we decided to follow along with uh, is, is Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 through 17. Now, I know we all love to read genealogies, right? Um, you know, uh, I, I think I read 
why one time that the book of Numbers is the fastest read book in the Bible. Because we just write down through the, all the names and that stuff. And, or maybe I'm the only one, I don't know. I'm not reading them names, you know, I mean. Forget reading them, we can't even pronounce them. Let's be honest, you know. <laughs> you sound like, uh, do you remember, uh, 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 oh, what movie was that where he, he's on TV and he's going, blah, 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 blah. Uh, Anchorman. Yeah, and blah, blah, blah. that's what it's like trying to read the book of Numbers sometimes. You know, that's what, that's what comes out. Your paper's all wet from spitting. Uh, well, anyway, so we're not going to read these things. I know I normally have you stand and we read, but what we're going to do is, in these first verses, we're just going to pick out a few names and talk about some people. Matthew starts out his book of good news, that's what the gospel means, good news, with a boring list of names. But it's very important. It's very crucial because what I was just talking about a little bit ago, I want you to hear this, this statement that, that I kind of read this week. God accomplishes his purpose with imperfect people. God has a purpose, and he's going to get that done with a group of imperfect people, those people being you and I. He has a purpose, and, and, and we're going to be the ones to accomplish it. When you think about this stuff, you know, think about some of the some big names in the Bible. Adam and Eve, they introduced sin into the garden. Noah, perfect in all his generations, got off the boat and got drunk. Abraham, Isaac, both lied, same lie. Remember, we, we talked about that. Jacob. Oh, boy, oh, boy, oh, boy. Jacob, you know. But when you think of some of the great people of the Bible, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, they're, they're the names that come up. God has a purpose, and he's going to accomplish that purpose with imperfect people. Now, I remember when we studied Abraham here, Miss Dawn was one of the ones that said, you, just, you don't see Abraham in that light. You don't think of him that way. But that man constantly messed up. As he got older and grew in his faith, it happened less and less. But he still messed up all the time. He disobeyed. He didn't, you know, uh, even though he's father Abraham. Matthew 1, and this genealogy is filled, now hear me on this, it's filled with a bunch of unfamiliar names. When you go through and you read these names, you don't recognize most of these names. But they are, it is filled with, uh, I guess we could say, a, a familiar characteristic. Because whatever habits you got, whatever issues you have, whatever areas you struggle in, when you read the book of Matthew, you're going to find that problem right in here. You feel me on that? You know, whatever you struggle with, you're going to find it. In Matthew 1, in case I did fail to mention, in case you don't realize, this is the genealogy of Jesus Christ. The man, God in the flesh, his genealogy is filled with the people that have problems that you and I struggle with every day. Because God has a purpose, and he's going to accomplish it with imperfect people. And that purpose at one point was bringing Christ to the world, and he used the people with the same struggles we got. That's what we're going to talk about today. So this, this genealogy should encourage us that the failures we have, the, the downfalls, the characteristic flaws we have, whether it be bad temper, whether it, you know, it's in there. It is in Matthew 1 through 17. You can find those character flaws. That should encourage us that we do have a purpose in God's kingdom, even with our, our downfalls and our shortcomings. That being said, let's go to the Lord in prayer, ask Him to get us ready to receive His word. Then we'll just pick out a few names, and you're going to see there's they're, they're specific names, and, and maybe you'll see why, we, uh, why we're going to go with these today. But will you bow your hearts with me this morning? Will you pray with me? <clears throat> Father in heaven, Lord, we come before you.
Lord, we stand in awe of you. Lord, to, to know that you are God who hears and answers prayers, Lord, that, that you, you sit and wait upon our prayer requests. Lord, that, that you, you have so much to do, but yet you, you have the strong desire to hear from your servants. Lord, what, what a tremendous thing that is. Lord, thank you for your written word today, preserving it throughout all these years, Lord, that we can hold a, a, a form of your mind, a part of your mind in the form of 66 books. Lord, what, what a tremendous blessing that is. Lord, today as we take a look in the book of Matthew and, and we look at this genealogy, Lord, may we find it encouraging that imperfect people can accomplish your perfect will and your, your perfect purpose. Lord, what, what, a, what an encouragement that is. Lord, I pray we have our hearts open to your word today, that that seed will take root and grow, that we can become more like you through the study and application of your word. I pray that each heart today is fertile soil here. Lord, I ask for recall of your studies, Lord. Bless my mind and my tongue, Lord, that I can communicate your word in, in this lesson today that will motivate and encourage us to, to spread the gospel. Lord, that we will be the 67th book that people read and see. Lord, again, just uh, I pray that today is acceptable worship in your eyes, that we will be found true worshipers. Lord, I pray that our heart today is to put you first, and that will continue through the rest of this week. Lord, thank you for everything. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, how can God use me? A genealogy filled with imperfect people, a bunch of people with all kinds of faults that you and I all share with these same people. So what we're going to talk about first and our first point number one is the people in the genealogy. We're going to, again, we're not going to cover all of these because if you were a couple of weeks ago on Wednesday night, I was teaching how you can read in here that there's three groups of 14 generations in here. And we're not going to go through all these people. We're going to pick out a few names. Um, and actually, just so you know, what we're going to do is, is we're going we're gonna to discuss quickly this morning the ladies, the women in the genealogy. And the reason we're going to do that is uh, women would have never, rare, I don't want to say never, very rarely made it into genealogies in this time. We, we've discussed before how, you know, uh, the, the, way the, uh, uh, the way society treated women at that time was a little different than today. Um, so, the, and if a woman would have happened to make it into a genealogy, she would have had to have been very noble and she would have had to have an a, a, a impeccable character about her. That's the only way she's going to make it into a genealogy. Not so true in Matthew 1. And that's what we're going to try to do this morning, try to set that precedence. That someone who would very rarely make it into a genealogy, made it into the genealogy of Jesus Christ, and they're not who we think they are. And so that's what we're going to try to do. The first person we're going to talk about is, is Tamar. I don't know, that's how I pronounce it. Um, uh, and in here, what we're going to talk about, you can find her in Matthew chapter 1 and verse 3. Uh, there were, I'm not even going to go through the names. You can, you can see that if you're in Matthew 1. I hope you are. Um, now here's what we're going to talk about. When you think of, of Tamar, um, you know, I'm not sure what you think about her or what you know about her. So what I'm going to ask you to do is, if you've got your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to open to Genesis or turn to Genesis 38. I want you to see something about this woman. Remember we said for a woman to make a genealogy, she's got to be very noble and impeccable. That her personality has to be exceptional. Her character is above reproach. The Bible refers to, uses that phrase. 
Genesis 38, beginning of verse 12. It says, uh, and after a considerable amount of time, uh, Judah's wife had died. And when the time of mourning his wife was over, Judah went up uh, to the sheep shears. Uh, he and his friend, they, they're going to go up. Uh, in verse 13, it says, It was told to Tamar, Behold, your father-in-law is going up to shear his sheep. Then in verse 14, So she removed her widow's garments and covered herself with a veil and wrapped herself and sat in the gateway uh, on the road to where her father-in-law would have been going. For she saw uh, that... that uh, her husband's younger son had grown up. Now, I'm going to pause there for a second, because in this time, if you were married uh, to someone and, and your brother was married to someone and your brother dies, you are now supposed to take her as your wife. You know, that really affected things, because if your brother was dating an ugly chick, but no, let's, let's go on, let's go on. <laughs> Verse 14. Uh, no, that's not where we were. Uh, he had grown up, and she had not been given to him as a wife. So not only is her husband dead, the younger brother who should be taking her as a wife, she doesn't have him. And in her mind, he should now be my husband. I should, I should be his wife. Remember, all women had. All they had in this time was to give their husband an heir. That's all they had in life. I mean, let, let's be honest, that's basically all they had. Um, so uh, verse 15, uh, when Judah saw her, he thought she was a harlot, for she had covered her face. So he turned aside to her by the road and said, Here now, let me come into you, for he, he did not know that she was his daughter-in-law. And she said, What will you give me that you may come into me? We're, we're going to stop there because there's going to be a little barter there. Remember what she wanted. She just wanted that man as a husband. That's all she was looking for. So when you think about Tamar, and she's in the genealogy of Jesus Christ, this woman pretended to be a prostitute. And she's in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. So when you think of impeccable character and noble people, that obviously if God's going to use someone in the line of Jesus, it's going to have to be a woman that's amazing. No, God used a woman who pretended to be a prostitute to get something she wanted. You know, let's look at another one. And again, we're not going to do these real fast. The next one, if you follow along in the genealogy, is a woman named Rahab. And I believe a lot of us know her, so we might not have to spend as much time on Rahab. She's in Matthew chapter 1 and verse 5, right? And, and what do we know about Rahab? We probably know in Joshua chapter 2 verse 1. If you, if you turn there, you can see uh, where it says, Then Joshua uh, sent two men as spies... Uh, and he tells them that to go and view the land, especially Jericho. So they went and came. Where did they go when they get to Jericho? <laughs> they go to the house of a harlot whose name was Rahab and lodged there. So the second woman of impeccable character, uh, of someone who, who if God can use somebody, it's going to have to be a, a great, great, phenomenal woman. This woman didn't pretend to be a harlot. But what she did, she lived. into the world. Now if you continue on and we stay in the same verse, we're going to read about a lady named Ruth. Right? In Matthew chapter 1 and verse 5, this is going to be the third lady in the genealogy. Right? Remember, women shouldn't even really be in genealogies at this point. Um, so in uh, Ruth, what we're going to do here is, is Ruth chapter 1 verses 1 through 4. I was going to have you turn there. We're not going to do that for the sake of time. 
you, you can look this up. Ruth, if you don't know, uh, the background of Ruth is basically, she is a Moabite. Okay, um, the, the, some of the Israelite family, they had moved to, to Moab and, and it was a father, a wife, and two boys. And while the two boys were there, they had taken Moabite women as wives. Well, the two men died, right? We know, we know the account of Ruth. I'm not going to go all through that. But the reason I'm showing you this is, is if you're not familiar with this, Ruth was not a prostitute, right? She didn't do these things. Actually, she was a great moral woman. But there's a problem with Ruth, and here's the problem. She's a Moabite. If you're not familiar with scriptures at all, they are the traditional enemy against God's people. So even though Ruth might have had the character you're looking for, uh, noble, honorable, you know, uh, uh, she was a hard worker, we know these things. She, she stood by her mother-in-law when no one else would. Great things, but... She comes from the group of people that was probably one of the biggest thorns in the side of God's people all through the Old Testament. That's who God picks in in Ruth. And then, and then the next one is Bathsheba. This will be the next verse, Matthew chapter 1 and verse 6. Uh, we know the account of Bathsheba. Uh, 2 Samuel chapter 11 verses 2 through 4. This woman, very attractive woman, uh, we, we've, we've done some detail on this one. You can see in 2 Samuel 11, 2 through 4, David, uh, he should be out in battle, but he's not. He's walking the roof. He's pacing around up there, and he sees a, a woman that was very beautiful in appearance. So David inquired of the woman. Remember, she was taking a bath. And, and David inquired, uh, inquired of the woman, and, and one of them said, Oh, yeah, that's, that's Bathsheba. She's, a, she, she's married. She, she, got a, she got a man, the... Uh, Uriah, he, he, he's a Hittite. David says, oh, yeah. You can see there where David sent messages, messengers, and he took her. And when she came to him, he lay with her. And then she had to go through her, un, her, her cleanliness process because, you know, the, the Jewish law, the Jewish rules said you're now unclean because of that. And when she became clean again, you can see there she returned to her house. So Bathsheba, who's in the genealogy of Jesus, was an adulterer. So when you look at this genealogy and you think about the women that are in there, we have a woman who pretended to be a prostitute, a woman who was a prostitute, a woman whose family line was the, one of the greatest enemies against God's people, and an adulterer. That's who God used to accomplish his purpose of bringing Christ into the world. These are the ones he's using. These women, they aren't, they aren't the poster children of morality, are they? They're not even close. You know, but that, that's what we see. The entire genealogy in, in the book of Matthew, it is filled with people with major character flaws. This is why I tell you, whatever we're dealing with in here today, whatever you have, I would be, I'm not a man, but I'd be willing to bet you can find your my character falls right in the book of Matthew in the first 17 verses. The only difference is <laughs> they continue to pursue God. Are we? Uh, are we? But there's one more to share with you. There's another lady. There's another lady by the name of Mary. If you're still in the book of Matthew, she'd be found in chapter 1, verse 16. You know, um, what did Mary do wrong? 
Right, we see uh, verse 16, Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, by whom Jesus was born, who was called the Messiah. Here's Mary's problem. Look down to verse 18. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. Jump down two verses. It says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed, um, engaged, uh, to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child of the Holy Spirit. Now, Similar to Ruth, Mary really didn't have a whole lot wrong with her character. She, you know, do you remember what she says in the book of Luke? May it be to me as you have said. You know, uh, uh, that, that was her. I, I'll do the, the Lord's will with everything I can. But here's the problem Mary had. It's called the court of public opinion. Even though she did have good character, even though she made good decisions, even though she wanted to do God's will, what did the world see? A teenage girl who got pregnant before she was married. That's what they saw. So she might not have done the things that these other women did, but she knows exactly how they were treated. These are the people that God's used. You know, you, you, could you imagine how we talked about this before, especially in Christmas time, how they looked at her when she walked around with that, that baby bump? Can you imagine how they looked at her knowing she wasn't married? Could you imagine what they said behind her back? And all she said was, may it be to me as you have said. These are the people that God's using. These, uh, <clears throat> when you think of Christ coming to the world, God's purpose in bringing his son, he used probably some of the most imperfect people to accomplish his purpose. That is Christianity. That is the people of the genealogy. So what do we learn from it? You see, our second point, number one, is going to be uh, the lesson. The lessons from the genealogy. And it's, wow, Beck wants me to close. Look at that. We, we jump straight to the fourth verse of the closing hymn. <laughs> we don't need it. We're good. <laughs> okay. No, we're good. We're good. Everybody do this. <sighs> We're good, we're good. This is the lessons from the genealogy. There's a few things we're going to learn. Um, and there's only two of them that I really want us to get, right? And the first one is the fact that the, the first lesson we need to learn is God uses people to accomplish His purpose. You hear that? God uses people to accomplish His purpose. And why I say that is, is God's not going to intervene with some miracles and do all this stuff just to get His will done. What He's going to do is He's going to invest in people who are supposed to invest in relationships with one another. Remember, remember what John says, what Jesus says in the book of John? You know, your love for one another will tell the world that you're my disciples. That, that's God's plan. That's, you know, the, the love we have for one another. That's what he says. Listen, we talked in Sunday school that the reason we obey is not to earn salvation. We obey the word of God out of gratitude because we need to learn how to fit in in heaven. That's what we talked about in Sunday school. And we have to learn how to do that. That's why we obey God. That's why we show up here. We're learning to fit in, learning to mold ourselves. God uses people because he's trying to mold us into difference makers. 
He says, I know you have problems. I know you got issues. I know, I know you have this about you and that about you. I don't care about that because I'm going to teach you how to be a difference maker in people's lives. He uses imperfect people. He uses people to accomplish his purpose. This is what he does. Hard times, we've been saying this for a long time. Hard times develop character. And God is in the character building business. You know, think about this one. Acts 26, verse 16. Okay, this one's on the overhead. She's going to save you? All right. We're going to keep rolling along, though. You know, um, turn with me to Acts 26, 16. I I want you to see this verse real fast. That would be in the New Testament. I'm I'm telling myself, by the way. Uh, 26, 16. It reads like this. This is what Paul's giving his account, and he says this is what was told to him. He says, but get up and stand firm on your feet. This is what Paul was told. For this purpose I have appeared to you, to appoint you a minister and a witness, not only to the things which you have seen, but also the things which I will appear to you. You see, in this account, if you go to Acts chapter 9, uh, when, he, when Paul's told that he's going to be a servant of God, he says, I'm going to show you things that you are going to have to suffer. God clearly understands that we have issues and we have problems. But he also understands that we, he has a purpose. And listen to me closely. Even though we have problems and we are imperfect, we fit perfectly into his purpose. Paul had all kinds of issues. He had, huh? I don't know how I said it. I just made that up. Um, even though we're imperfect, we fit perfectly into his purpose. Something along, yeah, I just, because that's definitely not in the notes. I made that up. <laughs> you know, uh, uh, and I hope we understand that. God says, I know you got faults. I made you. I created you. I know you got issues. I still love you. And I'm going to take those issues and I'm going to use them. And we're going to accomplish my purpose together. That's what he says. And look at all the things Paul accomplished. Paul had specific qualities that God wanted to use. Remember we said when, 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 when God said, man, I've got to get this message to the Gentiles. How am I going to get this done? Well, I think I'm going to take the guy that's killing all the Christians. <laughs> Why? Why would you? Why in the world would God pick the guy to take God's word to the, to the world who's killing Christians? He had a major downfall. God said, I don't care about that. I see qualities that I can use big time. That's what God, well, God don't see us with our downfalls. Does he know they exist? Yes. He sees us on our potential. Boy, if if I would just submit, I could could get the word out. If Kenny would just submit the things we could do together. Kenny has qualities. You have qualities. We all have qualities that God wants and desires for his purpose. Even though we have the downfalls. That's the lesson we learned. God uses people. Listen to me. God wants availability not ability. He can work through the problems we have. The second lesson we're going to learn is God uses people who are imperfect. It's it's, it's basically the same thing. The people in this genealogy, these, these five women that we talked about, they should provide us with a lot of hope. They they should provide us with with a lot of Beck, what happened? You quit on me. We just talked about last week about not quitting. I quit on you. 
That's great. He uses imperfect people. You know, uh, he took, he took uh, Tamar, who, who faked being a prostitute. He took Rahab, who was a prostitute. He took Ruth, who her, her family tree was just was filled with enemies. And Mary, who everybody talked about and everybody gossiped about. Bathsheba, who committed adultery. These are the people he said, I'm, I'm going to use you. I'm going to bring my son into the world through you. And, and that's what he did. That should provide us a, a lot of hope. These people, listen to me now, I want you to get this. These people's sins weren't just about what they did, but it was about the circumstances they were dealing with in their life. You hear me? You hear me? I, you know, one time, Terry Lynn and I was, was going somewhere, and, and we drove past a place where someone had, it was in a gas station, and they just died of an overdose. And, and she had said something about drug use and that, and I said, how do you know? I grew up around a lot of that stuff. How do you know that wasn't a good person who tanked over something in their life? How do you know it wasn't someone who loved their mother dearly and their mother was killed by a drunk driver and the only thing they had left was a needle? I am not justifying drug use at all. But sometimes circumstances push people overboard. Tomorrow, why did she do what she did? She felt utterly useless in her life. The only value she could find was giving an heir to her father-in-law. So she dressed up as a prostitute and said, I will get this done no matter what it takes. God can use someone like that. Did she goof up there? Yes. But someone who says, I'm going to get your will done no matter what it takes, God can use you. Just like he did tomorrow. You know, their circumstances dictated some of this stuff. Rahab, oh, she was a harlot and God used her. She was probably stricken in poverty. Probably had absolutely nothing, but she had parents to take care of. She had family to take care of, and that's the only thing she knew. I will be there to support you no matter what I got to do. God can use someone like that. Don't forget about their circumstances. Don't look at what they did, but why did they do it? Look at their character in the middle of those things. Ruth, widowed, could have very easily, do you remember what, her, what Naomi said to her? I don't have any children. There's, there's nothing more I can give you. You're young, you're beautiful, go find another man. She said, nope, you take me, I'll go with you. I'll go back to those fields and work. Remember what I said about her being Moabite? And, and the Israelites, can you imagine, she probably got made fun of in that field so bad. She worked them fields. Look at this stupid Moabite. Do you think it was easy for a pretty girl to be working in the fields? How do you think that went over? Do you ever think about that before? The struggle she had, but she said, my mother-in-law needs this. My mother-in-law has nothing. She doesn't have a husband. She doesn't have children. I will take care of her. I will take the, the racist comments and, and everything in the field and everything those men say. I'll work my tail off so my mother-in-law has something. God can use someone like that. That's what we see in the genealogies, church. That's what we see in these women. We don't see that, but that's what God sees. I'm telling you today, you're sitting here with downfalls and problems. God doesn't see that. God sees something he can use in each and every one of us. But what are we doing with it? You know, and you know, it, it can go on. You know, think about Bathsheba. She committed adultery, right? But the truth is she was manipulated by a man in a very powerful position. She understood about submitting to authority. And God said, I can use that. God could use some submission in the church today, couldn't he? 
Well, we wouldn't want a prostitute in here, or I'm sorry, an adulterer in here, would we? We're, it's much rather we put our foot down and say, it's my way, God. I'm not going to be very submissive. God can't use that. You know, Mary, and the victim of gossip and slander and everything, said, let your will be done. Let it be to me as you have said. God can use people like that. Regardless of our imperfection, regardless of our circumstances, God can and will use us to accomplish his purpose if we allow him. So the question is, are, are we doing that? You know, if we do, our names can become a part of history. You see Bathsheba and all these people, their names are part of history. They're recorded in a genealogy in a book of Matthew. We have a different book, Revelation chapter 21. I think it's 17. Is that what it is? 27, Revelation 21, 27, we know this one. Nothing unclean and no one who practices abomination in life shall, will, will, uh, shall overcome into it, ever come into it, I was trying to guess. <laughs> uh, but, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. You see, when we can accept that I have faults and I have issues, but if I can use those other areas of my life, well, I continue to work on my downfalls. God can accomplish something great and I can become a part of history. You and I can be recorded in the book of life, the genealogy of Jesus, the genealogy of Jesus in heaven. Not necessarily the genealogy of Jesus on earth, but the one in heaven. We could be recorded in the same thing. Even though we have those same things, regardless of our imperfections, regardless of our circumstances, we can accomplish God's will and his purpose. And all we got to do is sow the word of God we talked about last week. When it doesn't come back, it doesn't grow and fruitful the way we wanted, we work the soil. We don't quit. We continue to move on and move forward, regardless of the issues we have. Well, I can't memorize those scriptures. Then find another way. Well, I can't share as good as you. Then work at it. Find another way. Call somebody if you can't talk to them face to face. Invite them over for dinner. Work the soil. Get it done. That's what God's looking for out of you and I. He says, I see your imperfections, but give me a group of people that says, I'm going to do your will no matter what, God. That's what God's looking for. God has made a history of using imperfect people, and then he records it for all of us to see. Now you tell me which one of us in here today says, God, how can you use me? <laughs> I'm a drunk. I'm an adulterer. I'm this. Do you realize the things we've listed today? Well, in the bet most of us don't even have those things going on. Regardless of past imperfections or our current circumstances, we have a huge role to play in God's purpose. We're Christians. We have that sowing to do. Listen, uh, another thing we need to see is Jesus is God. Physically, he, he, was, he was the son of Mary. Uh, legally, he's the son of, of Joseph. But fundamentally, he's the son of God. And he came to this earth with a genealogy filled with imperfect people. That's how he got here. Can anyone, you know, uh, one of the thing about that made me think about Tom Shelton. You know, he sings that song. Uh, I don't know the name of it, but it's on my mother's side and on my father's side. I don't know which one the title is, but man, that's a good song. You know, uh, <clears throat> you know, Romans chapter 8, verse 28, trying to, trying to wind this down, says this. Very popular verse. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Church, circumstances are going to have us fall short a lot. 
We're going to get put into situations where we are going to fail. Circumstances are going to do that because we are human. But that don't mean God can't use us. That don't mean God can't turn that circumstantial mistake into something good. God can use us in spite of us if we make ourselves available to him and his purpose. Stop thinking God can't use me. I have this problem and I have that problem because it's never stopped God before. Why would it stop with you? There's still a huge role we need to fill there. You know, and I want, I want you to see this as we think about this stuff. You know, we, sometimes we look at our lives and think, how can God use me? My family's a mess and this is a mess, you know. But, but so is Tamara. Uh, Tamar. Tamara's Tam's wife, or uh, Bob Long's wife. <laughs> you know, so was Tamar. So, so was Bathsheba. So, so was, you know, Ruth's life was a mess at that time. Their lives were a mess too. They had all kind of problems and God was still able to use them. Listen, God can and will use us in spite of us. I, I want you to see something. <clears throat> if, if you turn to Romans 8, jump down a little bit. Romans 8, verse 35. So we're not going to read this whole thing. It says, who will separate us from the love of Christ? And then he goes on and lists a bunch of things. Tribulation and all these things. But I want you to notice, he doesn't say what will separate us from the love of Christ. He doesn't say what will keep us from doing God's will. What is the word he uses? It's who. You see, the only thing that will keep you from being used by God to accomplish his purpose is you. The only thing that keeps me from accomplishing God's purpose is me. Circumstances are going to come into my life. They're going to make me ineffective for a little bit. They're going to come into your life that's going to make you ineffective for a little bit. It's going to happen. But that don't mean we're useless. God can turn that, strengthen us, and make it better. I hope we get that. It's not our mistakes or our bad choices that removes us from God's purpose or his plan. It's our idleness. I said a couple weeks ago about the church dying. It's not dying because we have a bunch of imperfect people in here. God can use us in spite of us. It's dying because a church has grown idle. It's dying because we've lost sight of God's purpose and his plan. God can do tremendous things in this town, in this county, in this state, with the 50 people sitting here today. The 50 imperfect people. We can accomplish his purpose. We can accomplish his will. But we've got to make ourselves available to him. That's how God works. This morning, if you're outside the church and you haven't